0: Good morning. morning. Our reading this morning is taken from the Gospel of John, and that's chapter 14, starting at verse 15. It will be in the Black Pew Bibles on page 901, and if you wish, you can find one at the bookcase at the door. John 14, starting at verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things that I have spoken to you while I am with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. And bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The word of the Lord.
1: Morning. Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge that we can only sing that song that we love you in response to the fact that you have loved us first. And so I thank you for that beautiful reminder this morning. God, and we do want to love you. We want to love you well. Spirit, I pray that you would come and you would cause your son to be glorified, for your church to be edified, and for Satan and demons and all of hell to be petrified as your church rises here in North Andover to go and do good in the name of Jesus in the everyday stuff of life. That's my prayer as we approach you this morning, that you would come and you would dwell among us. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear and to respond appropriately to your word and your instructions. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, so I'm Brian, and I do work like five minutes down the road. I should be there this morning. They don't know that I'm here. Don't tell them. I'm kidding. Uh, and, and yeah, it's true. I just tell Ryan, I just call Ryan up and go, hey, I, I'm going to come preach at your church, and he just obliges. So, no, I appreciate the invitation. Grace Point elders and, 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 and church, thanks for having me. It's a blast. Love your pastor, love Ryan, love Jess, love the family. They've been great friends to us. More on him in a second. Um, Who is the Holy Spirit? So that's what I'm preaching on, right? Where did Ryan go? I think that's what I'm preaching on, right? Who is the Holy Spirit? Good, we're on the same page. Jet lag hasn't really um, affected that too much. But who is the Holy Spirit? There's often an imbalance at times when we consider this question or even uh, the person, the work, Uh, The doctrine, we could say the belief of the Holy Spirit. So when it comes to the church, sometimes there can often be an imbalance. On one side of the fence, you can have uh, places or churches or people who say, hey, it's all about the doctrine. It's all about head knowledge. It's all about intellect. It's all about books. It's all about study. It's all about education, right? And when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we don't need as much as the experience. We just need more stuff. We need more knowledge. We need to be in the scriptures. We need to be in the word. Very good thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. On the flip side, you can have churches or groups of people when it comes to the Holy Spirit who say, hey man, keep Ryan and, and the girl, I forget your name, the girl that was just up here killing it up here. You're awesome, by the way. Uh, we just, just keep Ryan up here for the next two and a half hours and you guys just sing to us and we'll, just, we'll, we'll have some sort of emotional frenzy and we'll just invite the Spirit to come and just uh, come and flood this place and, just, and create this emotional frenzy to where we just, we just respond. We need the experience. Not so much of the doctrine stuff. We don't, we don't need as much as that. We need more of the experience of the Holy Spirit in our lives to the exclusion of the intellect. And so there's often a ba- an imbalance when it comes to churches sometimes when, when, it, when we start talking about the Holy Spirit. We don't need all the head stuff or we don't need all the experience, right? Right? So you've got this imbalance at times. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna jump right in. We're gonna consider John 14. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna ask two really simple questions to hopefully help us work through this imbalance. And maybe you're here and you find yourself kind of in that tension of, of 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 knowledge versus experience. In which way, which one is it? Is it either or? Can it be both? Two questions, real simple questions to help us kind of get to where we want to go this morning. First question is this Who is the Holy Spirit? Real simple. Who is the Holy Spirit? Secondly, what does the Holy Spirit do? It's my hope here this morning, simple hope, that we'll be able to walk out of here. Whether you're a believer, whether you're a non-believer, where you're here, you're, you're considering Jesus, you're considering the scriptures, you're considering everything that the church is about. Uh, it's my simple hope for us this morning is that you and I would walk away with a better understanding of who the Holy Spirit is and a greater desire to experience Him in our everyday stuff of life. Not just when we gather as a church on Sunday to sing songs and hear, preach word, and do churchy stuff, but when we actually leave and and, and live Monday through Saturday lives. It's my hope that you'll experience the power and presence of the Spirit active in your life, the everyday stuff of life. All right? So you ready to work? All right, like four of you nodded your heads. It's fine. I'm going to do it anyways, whether you're ready or not. So here we go. Number one, who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit, we could say this, the Holy Spirit is uh, the permanent divine resident who resides within the walls of every believer, right? So the Holy Spirit is the permanent divine resident who resides, takes up occupancy within the walls of every life of the believer. Three things to help us unpack who the Holy Spirit is. We look at John 14. The first one is this, he's personal. Take a peek at verse 17 if you get your scriptures right there. John 14, 17. Jesus is speaking. He says, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and he will be in you. You notice how Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as he and not it? Jesus is referring to a personal being, someone who has uh, feeling, someone who has emotions, not just a supernatural uh, impersonal force, but he's referring to someone who is a he. If you, and, and, and really, the scriptures kind of draw this out in other places too. Uh, Ephesians 4 says that the Holy Spirit is a person who can be grieved, right? If you go into to Hebrews 10, it says that you can actually outrage the Holy Spirit, and it got me to thinking that just in the past week alone, I've probably broken world records on how many times I've outraged the Holy Spirit just this week alone. Simply put, Romans 15 says that the Holy Spirit loves, right? So we're dealing with um, not an it, but we're talking about a person who has feelings and emotions. And so first and foremost, the Holy Spirit is personal. Secondly, he's also God. The Holy Spirit is God. Look at verse 16 if you have your scriptures there. It says this. It says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you Forever, again, back in Hebrews uh, chapter ten, it says, "If you're insulting, if you you trample, if you insult the Spirit of Grace, it's the same thing as trampling on the Son of God." In Hebrews chapter ten, many places in the Scriptures where the Holy Spirit is lumped in with and equated to God, and Jesus was repeatedly making claims about His being equal to God, and now He throws another punch to the brain when He says, "I'm sending you someone who's just like." Me, right? So the Holy Spirit is personal. Holy Spirit is also referred to in the scriptures as God. Thirdly, he's a part of this wild, amazing community called the Trinity, the Trinity. All throughout this chapter, John records Jesus talking about himself, and he's talking about the Father, and he's talking about the one to come, the Spirit, Uh, but it's not as though that they're separate deals kind of doing their own things apart from one another. They're actually part of one another, yet they're distinct in their roles, You see, Jesus is actually so identical with the Holy Spirit that when the Holy Spirit actually comes into your life, you're actually getting the Spirit of Christ. And yet, Jesus is not so identical with the Holy Spirit that Jesus is actually somewhere else in a place called heaven right now, doing his thing there. It's kind of mind-boggling when you start to kind of kick around this whole thing called the Trinity, right? But here's what we want to get at, right? The Holy Spirit, he's this permanent divine resident who takes up occupancy right within the walls of of your life if you're a believer. And here's why this matters, because the Bible talks about being filled with the Spirit, Holy Spirit, which is to experience actually in your life some joy and some power. As you live your life with the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, you can actually, as you're filled with the Spirit, experience incredible joy and incredible power as you live out your Christian faith. Being filled with the Spirit is not just manifesting sign gifts. Sign gifts in the Bible are things like uh, speaking in tongues and prophecy, right? Uh, things that, that, that you see on display as evidences of the Spirit at work in your life. And, and sign gifts, I'll just be honest with you, sign gifts are like those things that make you scratch your head sometimes, right? Most of us read or hear about sign gifts and um, if you've grown up like I have with a nominally Catholic background and you kind of walk into this, this thing called Protestant church type stuff, evangelical church, and you start reading the scriptures and people talk to you about tongues and sign gifts, you go, oh man, that's a a little wacky. not going to lie to you. It's a little weird. Uh, Not sure how all that stuff works, but I, I guess I want those. I guess I'm supposed to want those things in my life, right? And so I'm not denying that the Spirit works through sign gifts, but we can't just equate the Spirit to that manifestations of these sign gifts, kind of like the weird aunt in the family, right? You show up at a Christmas party, uh, you love her, you don't really know her that well, she shows up and she starts doing wild things and saying crazy things and you know she's just part of the family and you go, all right, like I'm going to keep my distance over here while auntie so-and-so does her thing over there, the weird stuff, she's doing cotwheels and flopping around on the ground like a fish out of water, right? We'll just, we'll just go with it. I know she's a part of the family, love her. But here's why the view of the Holy Spirit matters for you and I this morning, practically. If you or I view the Holy Spirit as an it, remember, it, impersonal force, supernatural force with no feelings or no emotions, then when we talk about, when the scriptures talk about being filled with the Spirit, um, I guess the Holy Spirit is something that we're supposed to go after on our own power. So here's what I mean by that. If the Holy Spirit is just an it with no feelings and no emotions and he's not a person, right, then I will do all types of spiritual things and activities to try and get it. Right, so what I'll start doing in my own life is I'll start praying like a maniac. I'll read the scriptures like a lunatic. Uh, I'll start, you know, singing songs like over and over and over again, like in this emotional frenzy and craziness. I'll try not to sin. I'll do all of these spiritual things really, really, really hard in order to try and get the spirit, to try and get it. And if I'm fortunate enough in my life, if I work really hard enough, I pray hard enough, if I read enough, if I don't sin as much, then if I hit the target, if I'm fortunate enough, I'll hit the target and I'll get it in my life to fill me. And when you don't get it, if I don't hit the target, if I'm not praying enough, if I'm not reading my scriptures enough, if I'm sinning too much and I don't hit the target and I miss the target and I'm praying and I don't receive it, then I'm, I'm left to feel despaired rejected. I feel guilty because I'm not quite good enough. I'm not quite spiritual enough to get to the target of getting it to fill my life so that I can live with power and incredible joy. You feel me? You track with me so far? Three people? All right, here we go. Let's keep doing this. Praying fervently, reading your Bible like a maniac, singing songs emotionally, not sinning. Hey, all great things. Please please do those things and don't sin at the end, okay? Please do those things. But the emphasis is primarily on you. If the Holy Spirit is just an it, the emphasis is on you. But if the Holy Spirit is a person, uh, then to be filled with a person is something completely different than trying to be filled with an impersonal force, right? So for example, there are times when my wife, Danielle, I have Danielle, uh, Danielle, I have Danielle. I have a wife. Her name is Danielle. I don't own her. She married me. I married up Danielle. And I have three kids downstairs. If you listen close enough, you might be able to hear them scream downstairs at some point. Um, but when I'm, with my, when, I, when I'm with my wife, Danielle, there are times where I, I hear her laugh. I see her smile. I'm caught off guard by her beauty. And, and everything changes for me. There's this incredible experience of being filled when I'm in the presence of my wife. I had a friend, David, who every time, he just passed about a year and a half ago. Every time I was with him, my mindset and my attitude was different. Hey, listen. Happy days for me when I spend time with Ryan. No lie. Every time I spend time with Ryan, I'm challenged, I'm encouraged. Sometimes I walk away feeling like I need a shower, not going to lie, every once in a while. But most of the time, happy days are there because, because of my time spent experiencing, being filled with Ryan's presence. If the Spirit is a person, then to be filled with the Spirit is to like to be filled with a, with a person. Right? Listen to this. To be filled with the Spirit is to have your life transformed by an intimate awareness of the glorious person who lives permanently within the walls of your life. There was a story I heard by one pastor. He was telling this story, and he talked about a man who had come to him who was having an affair uh, with another woman other than his wife. Whenever his wife was away, he would bring his mistress home, and any time he brought his mistress home, he would have to go throughout all the house, and he had to take the pictures down off the wall, and he'd have to go over to the coffee table and flip all the pictures over. Any picture that had him and his wife over while the mistress was present and his wife wasn't there, he had to flip over, because neither he nor his mistress could bear even the photographed face of his wife, because even the presence of the picture would affect his behavior. Are you aware of who's living in your life, Christian? Are you aware of who permanently dwells within the walls of your very heart, even right now? Does it change the way you live? Are you aware of his presence in your life? Does it cause you to live with integrity? Is it causing you to love people with integrity? Because if you did, here's a challenge, right? If you did, some of us might not be doing the things that we're doing right now, that we're engaged in. If we are aware of who dwells within the walls of our very life each and every day, right? So that's just a little tidbit on who the Holy Spirit is. Personal, he's God, part of this wild community, this beautiful community called the Trinity. And he's the permanent resident who lives within the walls of your life, day in and day out. The second question is this. So what does the Holy Spirit do? If that's who the Holy Spirit is, Brian, uh, what does the Holy Spirit do, Two things in John 14 that we can look at here. John 14, Jesus says that he is the spirit of truth, verse 17, and he's also a helper. You could say, other translations say counselor, better translated advocate, that word, advocate. So he's the spirit of truth and he's the helper. He brings the truth to bear in our lives and he advocates for us, right? Two things that the Holy Spirit does. The first one, the spirit of truth, as he brings the truth to bear in our lives, Uh, the Holy Spirit Uh, quite literally, is the author of the scriptures, the Bible. Second Peter chapter one says this, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, backed up in in John chapter six, he says this, he says, the words I've spoken to you are spirit and they are life. So in other words, the words that Jesus um, spoke that we see in the Bible were produced by the spirit. And if you embrace them, And if you have understanding of them, they'll give you eternal life. So the spirit of truth means that he's the actual author of scripture, that men who who coined and penned every single word of scripture were led and inspired by the Holy Spirit. So he's actually the author of scripture. And it's one thing to know the scriptures, it's one thing to know the words that have been penned by the Holy Spirit intellectually. It's one thing to have knowledge of them. It's one thing to understand them in your brain, right? And to be able to remember these things in your brain. But there's more to this. If you were to skip ahead into Colossians, there's this guy named Paul. He was a beast. He was a church planter, missionary, loved Jesus, was a wild, crazy guy uh, beforehand. He met Jesus. And and here in in Colossians chapter 3, he says, says this right here. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The word of Christ dwell in you richly. Which is the same thing as saying, essentially, be filled with the word. Be filled with the word, a.k.a. God's word to us, the scriptures. Be filled with it. And then Paul goes on to give a list of traits after he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. He says, you know, sing songs, um, give thanks, use wisdom, be grateful. Um, Here are some of the outflows as you engage with the spirit of truth in your life when you let it dwell in you. But here's the thing. To let it dwell in you is different from just information, To let it dwell in you and sit in you and for you to meditate on that is different from just retaining some information intellectually, right? So it's one thing to look at the scriptures and say, hey, we're going to Bible study this week. We got a woman's Bible thing going on this week. Hey, um, let's just sit. Let's learn. Give me some more information. Let's study the Bible together. But it's actually a completely different thing to look at and to engage the scriptures and say, let's dwell. Yo, let's just hang out here for a while. Feel me? Look at verse 21. Jesus says this. He says, Whoever has my commandments, a.k.a. God's word, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Now, the people Jesus is talking to here is is believers. He's talking to his friends, talking to his disciples who've been following him. So the question is, so why does Jesus say that? to his friends, to his believers. Jesus is saying, Holy Spirit will come and he will make the words and the love of Jesus much more powerful and experiential in a believer's life. If you skip to Ephesians 3, Paul, same guy, church plant and missionary guy, beast of a guy. He writes this to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 3. He's praying for his friends who believe in Jesus. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So again, why does Jesus say this? Why is Paul praying for this? Right? Don't believers already know about the love of Christ? Don't believers already understand the love, the width, the depth, the length, the height of the love that God has for us in Jesus? Don't we understand that? After all, we wouldn't be Christians if we didn't know that. Ephesians here that Paul writes to, they wouldn't be Christians if they didn't grasp this. He says, but I want you to know this love that surpasses knowledge, information. So what's he talking about? Jonathan Edwards, one of my favorite dead guys of all times, he gets at this in one of his journal entries, writing about his experience of God, wrote a lot about his experience with God. And Edwards wrote this. He says, I had then, at other times, the greatest delight in the holy scriptures of any book whatsoever. Oftentimes in reading it, every word seemed to touch my heart. I seemed often to see so much light exhibited by every sentence and such a refreshing food communicated that I could not get along in reading it. Often dwelling long on one sentence to see the wonders contained in it. He goes on to end it this way. He says, These divine things were like a sweet burning of the soul. You know, Edwards gets at this very real divide that many Christians experience. For example... Growing up a Bruins fan, right? Grew up in and around Boston, growing up a Bruins fan from a very, very early age. I can remember watching the Bruins on TV, the big, bad Bruins. Any Bruins fans? Any hockey fans? One, two, thir- three. Oh, now you're all raising your hands because you feel guilty, right? Remember watching the big, bad Bruins, turning on Nesson, turning on the TV, seeing the big, bad Bruins, seeing pictures of the old Boston Garden. I'm not talking about the TD Garden. I'm talking about the old Boston God. You feel me on this? Right, you've been there for concerts, some of you, pre-Jesus days? I'm sure you have. All right. The Boston Garden, right? So I'd see it on TV, and I would think it's this amazing thing, and I would like hockey, and I'd like watching the Bruins. But it wasn't actually until I, my dad, when I was about six years old, took me to my very first Bruins game, right? We jumped on the tee with all the lunatics that were riding in on the tee with us, Right? Everyone's all jacked up. They got their Bruins shirt on and everything like that. And we get into the garden and you walk in and we paid uber amounts of dollars to sit in a seat where, if you remember the old garden, you could pay lots of money to sit in a seat where there was this big stanchion, this big column, and everything would be blocked. The only, you couldn't see anything on the ice. The only thing you could see is the person to the left of you, the person to the right to you, and most of the time they were passed out by the second period. And so you'd see these people. But just the experience of being there, right? You would go and you'd see cigarette smoke up in the air because you could smoke back in the deal back then. You'd hear the roar of the crowd. You'd hear fighting. You'd hear scoring. You'd hear cheering. You'd see people in their wild hairdos, all these people from Revere with their wild hairdos all over the place. If you're from Revere, you know what I'm talking about, right? And I remember after my first time going to the Boston Garden and experience all that, you see rats big and, bigger than some of the dogs that you guys have at home running around the TD guy. It was that experience that sealed it for me that made me say, well, this is a lot different than watching it on 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 the TV with my dad. I actually experienced it and became a true fan of the Bruins and the Boston Garden and everything that comes along with it. And here it is, right? You know this. It's one thing to know something about something, and it's a total different thing to experience it personally in the depth of who you are completely different thing. And this is what the Holy Spirit comes to do as the spirit of truth. He makes truth known to you intellectually, but he will also come and manifest himself to you experientially. This is, which is exactly what Paul is praying, that you would dwell in it, that the love of Christ being rooted in you, in your inner being, aka your heart, your soul would come alive to you and that you would actually taste and see and experience the love that God has for you how deep, how wide, how long, how high, that love is for you personally. So that's first. The Holy Spirit can come and make it so real to you as the Spirit of truth that it actually has the power to transform your very life. But there's another thing that the Holy Spirit does. He's also, Jesus says, our helper, or we said our advocate. Verse 16, again, Jesus says this, he says, I will ask the Father and he will give you Another helper. All right, Brian, so what's he saying? Like another helper to raise my kids? Like, because I could definitely use that. Not going to lie to you. Anybody wants to jump in and help me from time to time, feel free to talk to me right afterwards. We could use all the help we could get. This is a person. This helper represents you. He advocates for you and is completely for you. We're talking about a person who will defend you against your enemies. We're talking about a person who will stand in the gap On behalf of you. So, why is it important then, Brian, uh, for the Holy Spirit to be our advocate, to be our counselor, to be our helper, right? Not only does the Holy Spirit come as a job and and, and defend us against our enemies here on earth, but you know what he does? He comes and actually defends us against the enemies of our own soul, the enemies of your own heart. Paul says in Romans 8 that there are times, that there are going to be times in your heart where you are gonna be tempted to doubt that you were even loved by God as his child. You are gonna be tempted to doubt that God loves you because of sin, because of whatever other circumstance that comes in your life, you're gonna be tempted to doubt that God sees you as a child. And the Holy Spirit, our advocate, aka our helper, will come and say, no, 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 no. You are loved. You are God's child. The Holy Spirit is there to, de- to defend and advocate the rich benefits of the gospel of what Jesus Christ has done when your heart is prone to wander. And if your heart's like anything like my heart, then your heart is prone to wander probably daily, probably each and every moment of the day. You're tempted to wander. Your heart is tendered to drift off into something else and not believe the rich benefits of the gospel. Or maybe there's going to be times where you experience suffering and pain in your life and some sort of hardship and you dealt that God's presence is there. You dealt that God could love you if he allows you to go through something. You even doubt that God is with you or cares about you. But let me tell you a little, bit, a little truth about us New Englanders, right? So if you're from New England, especially if you're Boston, north of Boston, right, where we are, and really this is just humanity in general. Let's just we'll say that. this humanity in general. Um, we don't like the concept of grace. You and I do not like the concept of grace because here's what we want to be able to champion. We want to be able to say in some way, we have earned it that we have done this. Because you know what that does? It puts us in control. It allows us to captain the ship of our lives. It's ingrained in every single one of us. But when things go off track or when things uh, don't go as planned in our life, now here come the fears and here come the doubts. And then we actually turn and we point to God and we say, "He, he can't love us. He's abandoned us because I'm not good enough but then the Holy Spirit comes in to argue your heart back to a place of rest in the gospel, back to a place of peace, knowing the benefits of what Jesus has provided for us. There's gonna be times where you're tempted to drift, right? So many cultural idols, especially here in our North Andover, Andover area, right? Cultural idols such as money, such as sex, such as education, the American dream, control, your kids and their future, you feel that if you're a parent? You're tempted to control your kids and their future. And instead of, instead of giving our hearts to God in worship, we give our hearts to these other gods. And when the Holy Spirit sees our hearts starting to turn away from God the Father, knowing that these things are going to destroy us, to destroy our hearts, to destroy our lives, the Holy Spirit comes in. You know what he does? He becomes like a friend um, like a good friend to an addict. Do you know how I found out who my real friends and who my loved ones were when I was a heroin addict 13 years ago? I found out who my real friends were and my real loved ones when they were willing to back me into a corner and say, I cannot allow you to do this anymore, Brian. You are killing yourself. You are destroying your life through what you are doing. And I cannot sit back anymore and allow you to kill yourself and destroy your life. What do you do when you see someone, when you love someone, and you see them destroying their life through whatever it is that they are doing? You confront them. You're killing yourself. I'm not going to let you do it. I love you way too much, man or woman, to let you sit there and destroy your life. Right, So this is what we have, the permanent resident occupying the very walls of our life. He's our friend. He's our advocate. He's our helper. He's our counselor who does not want you to destroy your life. But here's the last thing about this advocate, most important thing. Look at verse 26 real quick. John 14, 26. But the helper... The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I've said to you. In John 16, Jesus uh, goes on to say as He's teaching more about the Holy Spirit, He says, "When the Helper comes, he'll, He's actually going to come and bear witness about Me." But there's a key word in John 14:16, and it's the word "another." Jesus says, "I will send to you; He, the Father, will give you another Helper." Right? So here's the key. The key to the Holy Spirit operating your life as friend, as advocate, as counselor, and making you a child of God and reminding you of who you are in the gospel is to remember the first advocate, is to know who the first helper was because the very first helper was Jesus himself. 1 John 2.1 says this, My little children... I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. Time out, right? Let's just call time out right there. If we were just to read that uh, by itself, let's just ask this question. Anybody blow it this week, right? You blow it with your wife, right? Said some wicked, cruel things, screamed at your kids or, or said some things with your kids, right? Surfed anything on the internet, looked at some things that you weren't supposed to look at, cut some guy off on 495, maybe waved hello to him with one finger that you probably shouldn't wave hello to him with, right? You feel where I'm going with this, right? If it's, if it's that, right, we've blown up and, and, and there's things, maybe you're looking for comfort somewhere. Maybe it's alcohol. Maybe it's overeating. Maybe it's something that you're looking for comfort in. Here's some truth. Uh, each and every week that you come into this, this building right here called Grace Point Community Church that you occupy and worship together in, um, I don't know if you knew this. You and I, when we came in this morning, brought truckloads of sin in this place, we just brought dump, dump truckfuls of sin just into this place as we came into this place to gather together as the people of God to worship Jesus once again. And our hearts throughout the rest of this week will be tempted to swim, or even as you came into this place, your heart was tempted or you came in dragging condemnation and guilt and shame over anything that you may have done this week that caused you to walk off the deep end. Well, let's keep reading because we're not left alone in our efforts. First John continues this way But if anyone does sin, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Listen. If, you're, if you and I are left to put our best foot forward, man, we're, we're sunk. We're done. Forget about it. If we're left to just put our own efforts in, our best effort to fix my, ma- my best effort to fix my marriage or to fix my kids or to determine their future and how they're going to live out their life or to get, a- get away from anything that's entangling my heart, that's causing my heart to wander away from true worship in God, my best foot forward will never quite be good enough, will never be enough to fix anything that I have going on in my life. And matter of fact, if I can just be honest with you, the the harder I try to put my best foot forward, the worse things get typically. The The more I squeeze onto the wheel and I try to drive this ship, the worse off I am when I'm in control of my life. And apart from Jesus, the Bible says that we're actually condemned in our sins before the Father because of our sins. Friends, Jesus Christ is our advocate though. It's through his ability and it's through his work on the cross for us that you and I can actually begin to rest in our inability to be righteous enough, in our inability to live out righteousness in our own lives. You've got the first advocate, Jesus, and he's in heaven right now making petition before the Father and he's standing up and he's representing you as the true advocate so that when we stand before the Father someday, you and I will actually hear the words, you are loved because of what my son Jesus Christ has done for you. I love you and I'm well pleased with you because of my son Jesus' work on your behalf. And if we have that advocate up there doing that for us right now before the father do you know what the advocate down here who resides in the walls of your life is doing and wanting to do each and every time your heart is condemned by sin or the enemy wants to tempt you or draw you away from the benefits the advocate down here is applying what the advocate up here has done for you over and over and over and over and over again past present and future sins the Holy Spirit is applying the first advocate's work. He's taking what Jesus did for you and for me and he's applying it to our hearts. The Holy Spirit's job is to say, look, look, look at what Jesus has done. Look at what the beauty of what he's done. Consider, behold, look at what Jesus, look at his advocacy for you on your behalf. There is nothing that will ever separate you from the love that God has for you in Christ. You will never be able to lose that position in Jesus. You'll lose your cars, man. You'll lose the house at some point. You'll lose the nice job. You might lose your health. You will never, ever, 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 ever lose what the first advocate Jesus has done for you. And if this is true, here's where I'll leave us. If this is true, for all of us. You know, within the happy land of the Trinity, you've got this selflessness going on within the beauty of this community. You've got the Father, and you've got the Son, and you've got the Spirit, and they're constantly just pointing to one another and glorying in one another. None of them are ever taking recognition. Constantly selfless love, selfless acts towards one another. And if that's true, if we have the life of the happy trinity residing within each and every one of us, my prayer is this for you and I, that you and I would never intentionally live a selfish life, both in our everyday stuff of life, the Monday through Saturday stuff, and in our, our church communal life, that we would never intentionally live a selfish life, but that you and I, with the work of the Spirit dwelling within us and in the midst of our community, would become radically others-focused radically others focused and so is this true of you friends from grace point whom i love and who we pray for is this true of you have you and are you continuously being changed and challenged by the grace of the spirit are you being blown away at the beauty of jesus week in and week out as the spirit reminds you of our first advocate is it changing your community here Hey, friends, we're in North Andover together, right? Co-laborers for the gospel in North Andover with hopes of seeing many within this area come to know Jesus, right? That's why you come here. That's why you worship here, right? Is this beauty and is this gospel beginning to change our community as we are being changed by it? Or are we making the Christian life and the church something that we can just consume and reap benefits from? May God in his grace fill us and empower us in the spirit as we look to and glory in the beauty of what Jesus has done, our first and selfless advocate. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray now in the name of Jesus for your grace and your spirit as we sit and we ponder the beauty of your son, our first advocate, the righteous before the father who came who lived, who died, who rose again, who's ascended to the right hand of the Father and lives now to make intercession. I pray that that spirit that dwells within the walls of our very life, Lord, would enable us to have our ears open and our eyes to see the beauty of Jesus in the everyday stuff of life. Even now, Father, I pray all condemnation and all guilt would be sunk. That Jesus, you would be high and lifted up in our lives, God, and I pray that you would bring about a beautiful unity in this church. You would bring about a growth and a unity in this, tr- in this church, Lord, for your glory. God, that lives that are represented in this room would not be lived primarily for themselves, but for the sake of the people that you have called us to and where you have placed this church. So may this church shine brightly as your light in this world, as salt and light here, Make this church a city on a hill, Lord, an alternate culture within the culture we exist in, Lord, for your glory, not ours. May we see tons of people be blown away by your grace as we are sent from this place, God. So I thank you, Father, for your work here. Hear my prayer and answer it in Jesus' name, amen.